Hello and welcome to Popcast. I'm your co-host Rose Kelly and joining me is my co-host and co-editor Kelly Lorraine Andrews. Hi, hi, hello. Welcome to the Popcast. We're editors at Pretty Owl Poetry, a quarterly online lit mag that accepts poetry, flash fiction, and art. And today you're listening to Popcast. Uh, So in our last episode, we talked a little bit about the origins of pop, and we kind of took a little walk down memory lane, which was fun. Um, And it kind of got us thinking that maybe our listeners would be interested in hearing sort of the lessons learned from starting up the journal, uh, what's worked, what's failed miserably, and why we keep doing it. Um, I must apologize because I have a bit of a cold, so I think I sound a little bit congested, but um, we still wanted to get this recording in to please our listeners who are out there waiting for the next episode. Um, (laughs) But Kelly, do we have any updates since last time? So there's not a whole lot to report since our last podcast. Um, We will be releasing issue 23 at the end of this month. So, you know, keep an eye out on our social media and our website uh, for that to come out. And um, a couple of things that I'll be doing uh, is October 27th, we'll have a table at the Pittsburgh Zine Fest or the Zine Fair, I think it's called. Um, So if you're in the Pittsburgh area, you should stop by and say hello because I'll be there with Jess, who's our art and design editor, and Rachel, who's our newest editorial intern. Um, I'm also going to be at the Push to Publish conference at Rosemont College on October 12th uh, as a speed date editor. I'm already taken though, so you know, like it's just it's just an editor date. Um, it'll be my first time at this particular conference, uh, and, and I'm really excited to be wrapping the journal and like I, I don't know, I really like going and meeting new people and talking to to writers. So that's the biggest news that we have right now. I mean, we're just plugging away basically at the next issue, and um, we'll have that out soon. Yeah, looking forward to that. Well, I guess to to throw it back a little bit. Um, thinking back at the pop origins, I just remember the text you sent, which is like my favorite way to tell this story because it was sometime back in the fall of 2013. And you sent this like cute text that said, I want to start a literary journey journal called pretty Owl poetry. Do you want to help me or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. And I remember just writing back. Yes. Like probably in all caps, like no questions <laughs> asked. So, so I'm curious, like what in that moment made you text that? And why did you want to start a journal? I mean, I'm not surprised you did, but just like, what was it about that moment in time? Yeah. So we talked to like, I mean, we did touch base on this a little bit the last episode. Um, the short version is that I was in grad school for my MFA, where I was reading for their literary magazine, Hot Metal Bridge. And basically, like my experience with that, I realized that I wanted to have a larger say and role in like how a publication was produced. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just I'll just start my own. Um, right. Like, I don't think I had any idea what I was really getting into at the time, but it seemed really doable. And um, it was also pretty insane because I was working full time, a full time job, taking two grad classes and working as a graduate student assistant and being a reader for Hot Metal Bridge. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to start my own journal. It's cool. It's cool. It's like it's it's no big deal. Um so I knew that like, I couldn't do it single handedly. Um, I immediately thought of recruiting you because like. You're not only a really talented fiction writer, but you also have a lot of publishing experience from the work you did in your MFA program, um, which focused like heavily on designing and creating books. And also in your professional career, you know, you've been you've been in publishing for you know different roles for various years now. Um, and I thought of Gordon because he was someone who I'd met as an undergrad 
and um, we had a creative writing class together and we had stayed in touch after I graduated and we would send each other poems for feedback or just like book recommendations, et cetera. Um, in general, we tended to like similar writers. So I thought we would probably mostly agree on what pieces we would accept for the journal. Um, and Gordon also had like a really specific set of skills as an artist that I thought would add to like our capabilities as a journal. Like we were really like the perfect storm there for, for starting this thing up. Um, each of us had like very specific skills that I think ultimately led to us being a success um, and we're still publishing. So like, I mean, that's like my level, like we're a success cause I, cause we're still publishing, you know, six years later. Right. I agree. Cause I, I feel like between like Gordon's sort of like sense of like art, I don't know what the right word is, his vision. And then I was definitely, I mean, I had like experience with WordPress and like electronic publishing from grad school, which I think helped. It's funny though. Cause now when I go onto the website, I'm like, I don't remember how to do any of this stuff because things have just changed so much. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy, like, how you lose it after you haven't been practicing. But I agree, like, and then, I don't know. I always felt like, even though you weren't editor-in-chief back then, I, I did feel like you were sort of, like, the unofficial leader, like, in a good way. Like, I appreciated that. I feel like we, we needed somebody to, like, keep moving everything forward all the time, so... Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we have a bunch of listener questions about starting up literary journals. So I figured we could just dive right in and like answer one after another. Um, we can kind of both weigh in. So start with the biggie. Um, what are the benefits of running your own journal? So I think like for me, it's like being able to publish work that I really believe in and love and like want to share with others is really what keeps me motivated to continue publishing Pretty Owl. Um just having a say in what we publish is a huge benefit um, and why I want to keep doing it. Uh, another thing is, is you get to create your own publication schedule based on what works for your life. Um, like I work for an association that publishes four, four journals quarterly. So it's like a constant battle to meet deadlines and to stay on top of the editing. And with Pretty Owl, it's like we're you know, we're one journal, we publish quarterly, and we can like kind of shift our deadlines. Um, we try to publish right on the change of the seasons, but like depending on what's going on in our lives, like, you know, it's okay if we're like a week or two late because somebody has like a trip coming up or they have like a death in the family, you know, like there's so many things that can happen. Um, and so the really nice thing about just running your own journal is like you can adjust it to whatever life throws at you, which I, I think is like, you know, huge benefit. Yeah, I agree with that because people don't really know per se that we try to f publish on the change of the seasons, but we do it like close enough around that time that mm -hmm. that you you know you could probably tell a theme. But I agree with you. I, I for me, I've enjoyed being the fiction editor because I like the freedom to select the type of tone and style that we kind of put out there. Um, my preference for flash fiction is a little non traditional. Um, I, I like flash fiction that sort of almost mirrors a prose poetry. And I also enjoy when writers can write very uh, brief and concise and do it well. Um, and so those kind of pieces sometimes make their way into the journal a little more frequently because I, especially if I'm like impressed by the brevity um, and it's nice to be able to highlight that kind of work. Um, I also think being an editor just makes you a sharper reader of literary work in general. I've gone through and seen like the notes that you and Chad and others put on pieces. And it's, it's interesting to see like how my reaction can be this can be similar or different. Um, and I've tried to pick up on more things just sort of from learning from both of you. Um, 
I enjoy the opportunity also to give new and emerging writers a place to publish. Um, and it's it's been fun to, to take the journal into a bunch of directions. Like we started off with these Google Hangouts where poets would come on and read their poems. And now we've moved into having a podcast and we're doing PopCraft. And it just seems like mm-hmm. there's so many places you can take a journal that beyond just like publishing the quote print you know version right or, you know what I mean um and I think like on a personal note I'm sure it looks good on a resume to be involved with a journal it like adds another element to your writing portfolio overall so yeah, yeah. totally so the next question is the flip of that which are what are some of the biggest challenges of starting up or running a journal Oof. Okay. So there were like so many challenges at the start. Um, There's just so many details that go into creating a journal from scratch. You know, like I, I know we spent a lot of time figuring out the exact language we wanted to use for our call for submissions, um, our about page, like what do we want to call it an about page? You know, like every like minor thing imaginable, we discussed and we were making decisions on a consensus basis. So that was really difficult just to get everyone to agree on things because of course everybody has like different opinions and like, you know, wants to uh, contribute to the conversation. Um, In general, I think you have to be really organized to start a journal. Um, When we first started out, we took submissions via email and I'd respond to every submission to be like, hi, thanks. We received your submission. Like, and then I would have to like filter it into like a specific folder and then, you know, eventually respond to that person when we made a decision and we had to like track our decisions like, um, on Google drive and just like juggling the folders and the email. It was like all logistically a lot to deal with. Uh, so there's that, like, you just have to be very organized in order to keep on top of things and not lose submissions, et cetera. And it did get easier when we moved to submittable. Um, and that was really great. But then that introduced the next challenge of like, how do we realistically grow as a journal without any outside funding? Cause we've been, you know, except for this year um, up until now, we've all just been pitching in and paying like splitting the cost basically of submittable and our website hosting fees and all that. So money became a challenge. I mean, as it always is with anything you do really. Um, and it's still something that we, contend with on a you know constant basis like there's much more we could be doing with the journal but you know we're kind of just like held back a little bit with funds um and like you know just dealing with different personalities in a group setting can be incredibly difficult like there were plenty of times where we didn't agree on things personalities didn't mesh and we had to navigate that aspect of working together and that was like often the most difficult part for me at least is like learning how to work in a group and um listen to people yeah no i agree i mean i think it's true even if like even in any kind of work project or whatever understanding people's personalities is key because I feel as though in the early days we exchanged a lot of emails between each other because it was just easier with our the way our lives were but Mm -hmm. I found that when we would get on a call it was just way more productive than the emails ever were Um, right because the emails could just go on and on and on and on and there you know you can't tell tone and um but yet we would get on a google hangout and it was like fine so that would be my suggestion is if you're if you have a team to meet in a way that like makes sense for the team. Like if you're better at talking things out versus 
writing them down. I just think email is a hard place in general to understand tone. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Getting everyone on the same page was one of the biggest early, um, biggest early hurdles. And I also think like we were trying to dive into like a lot of projects at once when the focus should have not should have, but you know, the focus should be on the writing and it can be easy to sort of get sidetracked with projects um, like multimedia, like the Google Hangouts we did, or even like, mm-hmm. I remember we were like obsessive about social media and I was trying to like, you know, schedule posts for every day on all the platforms. And as time went on, it was like, we don't really need to do that as much. Plus then you hired interns who were doing it, which is Right. That's so like, smart. I mean, it's really, that just has just shifted to somebody else. Right. Yes, <laughs> we're exactly. We're still doing that, but I mean, we were just too small. I mean, that was, we didn't have the manpower at the time to be doing all the things we wanted to be doing. Right. Exactly. Um, and like keeping up with deadlines is probably hard for some people. I, I, for me, I, it's okay. Um, like I'm able to meet our deadlines cause they are like quarterly. Uh, there are certain times of the year where it's like harder than others. And I try to like read subs, like my, my goal is to read them like every Sunday morning. And I feel like it never had, like I end up, <laughs> I end up like not doing it. And then I have to like read a bunch in the last like two weeks or something. And I yeah, kind of, you know, it's tough, but it just depends on how life is. So yeah. Okay. So the next question, did you have anything else to add to that before I move on? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, that, yeah, that covers a lot of deadlines is like really key. You really do have to, I mean, I think in general, just like being organized is like the biggest hurdle, I think for starting a journal. Right. So the next question is, uh, what was the biggest surprise you encountered along the way of starting up the journal? Um, I think you should go first. Okay. I can't. <laughs> I feel really bad about this, this comment, but I'm just going to say it. I was surprised at how bad some of the submissions could be. And I'm, I'm really sorry to say that, but just, you know, and how off the mark some submissions were in terms of what we had on our, like what to submit in terms of, I mean, it should be easy to follow a word count. That should be like just a very basic thing. I don't know. It should be easy to follow the rules, but people don't. Do you want to add to that? (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, like there's still, I mean, we still get a lot of submissions that are really off the mark and I feel like we've really, um, tweaked like our mission now and like have like a very specific, like, goal in mind of being like I've I mean like I always wanted us to be like we're a feminist literary journal and um I don't know I mean like we just didn't say that up front at first and now um you know like that's definitely the first thing that we say about us and I think that it's really important to like have um you know underrepresented voices being present in the journal like I'm not getting a lot of submissions from people that I would like to see then I solicit other people you know who I I feel like need to have their work out there in the world um but yeah a lot of it was I mean it was it's still shocking whenever there's just like people and like and and what happens too is a lot of people keep sending to us and I'm like but like are you reading the journal you know like they're just like keep trying but like their work just isn't a fit sometimes, you know, like it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So I don't know. I, know. That, I can think of like one person who submits pretty regularly and I feel like I've rejected the person so many times and yeah. it's like the work is like getting there and it gets closer, but it's still like, it just doesn't. Yeah. It's like, are you reading it? I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. 
<laughs> That's great. I would say some other big surprises, and we talked about this on the last episode, but when big name writers would write back to me after soliciting them, like Michael Martone or even Claudia Rankine, I was shocked that she wrote back. She didn't send anything back because she was working on a book or something at the time, but I was shocked that she responded at all. I think as far as other surprises, probably how many directions we could take the journal as we've been talking about and um, also along the way, like the real need for an editor in chief. I feel like that became apparent as the years went on. So thank yeah. you for stepping up and doing that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I wanted to do it from the start, but like was just trying, I don't know. I was like wanted it to be democratic, but like in my, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be the leader, which is like my life, like all the time. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I think like, you know, just to echo all those things were also surprises for me um, in general. I think that I didn't, I don't think I knew, like I didn't really have any concept of the amount of time and work it would take to keep the journal going. And that still sort of surprises me. Like um, it, it hasn't really got, it hasn't, it hasn't become easier over the years. We actually are still taking on more things and devoting more time and, um, even with having more people on staff, it's still it's still a lot of work to do, to run a journal. Yeah, definitely. So, what should you have ready to go before you announce an official launch? Um, I have kind of a bullet point on this, but this is true for any kind of uh, company or brand or whatever. And I'm not like a PR master, but these are things I've learned both from work and Pretty Al. Um, you obviously need a name and you need a mission statement as well as a logo and some kind of identity. Um, so we had the name before we had pretty much everything else. And I think we kind of mm -hmm. came up with the mission statement slash about us or how to submit what we're looking for together. Um, and from there kind of built the identity. Of course, you obviously need a website. And I would recommend that you, you kind of choose a template where everyone kind of knows how to use all parts of it. I think it can get it can be tempting to go crazy coding like a special CSS or like make it like jazzy. But in the end, you kind of just need a template that's user friendly, looks good and is easily accessible and that anybody on your team can manage because as, as Kelly can attest, uh, we've like added so many people over the years. Right. So getting everyone to understand like the back end of the website, I'm sure is a challenge. Um, right. Yeah. And obviously, like an email account for your submissions, some sort of like organizational system, templates for accept, reject, or like, thank you for, you know, sending your submission. Obviously, that got a lot easier for us when we uh, signed up for Submittable, which does a lot of that automatically. Um, right. But you need to kind of have a plan because you might be flooded with submissions. That would be, I guess, a, a bonus if you were flooded with submissions and couldn't <laughs> keep up. Um, they need to have some kind of system of like who's doing what for that. And, you know, social media accounts are huge. Um, I would pick the ones where you think your audiences are the most. My suggestions would be Facebook, Instagram, possibly Twitter, depending on how many you can handle. Um, but I think Facebook and Instagram are probably the two biggies. Um, I mean, I think people definitely still use Twitter. and But I see Twitter as more of like a news engine than... Um, I don't know. I don't really like follow literary journals on Twitter, but I definitely follow them on like Instagram. So... Yeah, I don't do anything on Twitter at yeah, all. Yeah. It's too much for me. It's too busy. Yeah, it definitely um, is. And um, I, yeah, I can't really, I'm trying to think of anything else to add, but I think that those are like, <clears throat> that's a really good place to start of things to have ready before you announce um, 
the launch and like I don't even think we had all those things ready whenever because I think yeah. we were just so excited but um I think it's definitely a good place to start is just like you know the the website the name logo mission statement all that are like very very good step you know starting points for for the journal yeah definitely no I'm, I don't think we did either I think just from like watching other things launch I realized that it's important for because like that might be the one time that the person checks out all of your stuff so if you have it all ready to go where they can find it all right um, even if they never come back again or maybe that'll kind of keep them digging into more but uh so our next question is how did you get people to submit and like just hear about the journal this was hard I couldn't really remember but I do think it was a lot of word of mouth I think we were using social media a lot I kind of remember remember maybe running some Facebook ads um but I think the biggest thing was getting listed on the different websites like some reviews were written about us that I think were really helpful and I know we added our journal like poets and writers and things mm -hmm. like that Right. And Entropy Entropy covered us, too. Like, we're yes. still on Entropy's website. And I see, I mean, you know, we still ask submitters, where did you hear about us? Because it's, like, really, I mean, I think it's still important to know how people are finding us. Um, people are probably, like, really annoyed at this point, you know, because we've been around. They're like, we, we've heard about you. You know, you've been around for a while. But um, people still list Entropy as, like, one of the places that they, they see. Um, and Duotrope is another one where oh, it right. gets suggested. Um and when we were first starting out, I think social media was really helpful. Um, and we worked on outreach to university writing programs, which was another thing that kind of got us bogged down at the start where oh, I was that's like, right. yeah, yeah, I was like, let's find contacts. And now, um, now I have like our interns do this and Chad also, whenever we don't have an intern, Chad works on outreach a lot for us. Um, but like, you know, we do have a, a more, um, system in place of how we get our name out there but we send our call for submissions to writers groups like um there's one that's like the crw crops email subscription list that i've been subscribed to for a few years and it's free you just send them like the information you want to post and then it emails out everybody on the list you know and it's like bcc'd so your information isn't released etc cetera, etc cetera. and um i know chad posts a lot for us to groups, different writer groups on Facebook, which is how we tend to get our call for submissions out there. Um, with Popcraft, we wrote up a press release and sent it to a few different outlets to try and gain some traction that way. So, the, you know, it is possible to get um, coverage in traditional advertising methods, like um, the a local website that's like, uh, it's called Litzburg. It's like, you know, Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. L, they cover like just news that's happening in the literary community in Pittsburgh because it's like such a big community and there's just you know tons of stuff going on. They ran the um, the press release for us and that was like I don't know I remember I was just like losing my mind like so excited to see that out there. Um, and we also we really lucked out because when we first started out like probably a year or so into running the journal, um, Aaron Elizabeth Smith asked us if we wanted to be under the sundress publications family. Um, so we became affiliated with sundress and they've really, you know, helped us with exposure. They have a huge audience and following and they promote each, each, um, everything we do, basically they promote on their site and we promote what they do. And it's been a really great relationship to have that has, I think helped put us on the map. Definitely. Um, so we have two more questions that I think are probably more geared towards you, but I'll chime in if, 
if I can. Um, the one question is, how do you build a successful team to run the journal? And you've been kind of noting that with the different things that everybody's doing. Yeah. I mean, it's a really great question. Um, I don't know that I have a good answer for it. Like we, we had a lot of ups and downs along the way. It's, um, I think like any good relationships, uh, communication is really necessary. Like, uh, when someone on our staff has been going through a rough personal patch, it really helps to know that and like give that person extra time to get their work done. Um, in general, being understanding that we're all just like juggling a lot in our lives and um, we're all volunteering our time for Pretty Owl. Um, for me, I've had to let go of the idea of things being perfect or like being as near perfect as possible and allowing them to just like be um you know, I have a note on my desk at work that says, how can I be compassionate when people make mistakes? Because I'm someone who's just, I'm just like, a, I'm a perfectionist. Like I like things to be right all the time. And um, it's something that I'm still struggling and learning to, to deal with. And I think that um, recognizing that in myself has been useful in terms of um, building the team that we have now and being okay with like things not being perfect and, uh, just, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to make mistakes. It's totally okay. Like that's where I'm at. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think like the key is like that people are volunteering the time. So, you know, um, if they're not, <clears throat> excuse me, putting as much into the journal as you wish they could, there's probably a reason for that. Um, right. like I know even just myself, I can only like dedicate so much time to it. And sometimes I feel bad, like that I should be doing more, but I just know, like the the pieces of the puzzle of my life that I need to fit in. And so I have to like fit it around, you know, the stuff that does make money, unfortunately, like the full-time right. job and whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't met all the people that have been on the team. Like I've met some via email. Um, I don't think I've actually met any of them in person, but from email, they seem Chad great. in person. Chad's um, the only person that thus far, I think that I have not met him yet but they they do want to come to pittsburgh for a reading or something soon so you know if we get anything set up um i think they're gonna try and make the trek out did chad reach out to you i can't even remember that how that started um oi well they interned with us right but i think that maybe oh this i feel bad that i don't remember exactly how they they weren't a student so i think that maybe we got them from advertising for an intern through sundress maybe oh okay yeah or or could have been the crw crops list because we did do that a couple of times too gotcha but um yeah they weren't a pit student because we have had a couple of people that have been um like alexis wasn't uh a pit student either she was someone who applied remotely and that we met remotely and then eventually um we did a writer's residency at the Sundress Academy for the Arts um, farm in Firefly, Firefly Farms in Tennessee. And so I got to meet her in person. But um, all the other ones thus far have, have been pit students. So I'm I'm primarily the person who deals with, you know, adding people into the team and um, meeting them and talking things out. But I think, you know, thus far, we've had really great people work with us. Like it's kind of, you know, like I haven't had any, I mean, it's just like been, it's been smooth sailing for a while now. And that's like really awesome. That's great. Well, that lends well, maybe into the next question, which is how do you eventually scale up your journal and also just keep it relevant? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're still figuring that out. Um, being open to change and growth is really important, um, especially when it comes to technology. Like, I didn't really want to do a podcast because I think I was afraid I wouldn't have anything interesting to say or, like, Aww. who cares what I have to say. But um, I really do think that some of the topics we've covered have been useful to our listeners, and I'm glad that we've embraced, like, other media as part of the journal. Um and, and, you know, we've we've figured out what what's worked and what hasn't worked. You know, like you mentioned before, like the Google Hangouts was something that we did for uh, we did it for a while. And we did interviews where we, you know, did written interviews with um, and I think we did a couple of like, excuse me, <clears throat> we did a couple of um, recorded interviews as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we basically had to figure out like what was working for the journal. And right now I think we're, you know, we're doing, we're doing great. I think the podcast is working. I think Popcraft is working. I think, you know, having enough people to run the journal is like really helping keep us like being able, like really helps us to be able to scale up. Um, and then in general, I just think engaging with your audience on a regular basis is a way to stay relevant. Like they're, are so many journals out there. So like our responsibility is, is we have to make sure we're being an active member of the literary community, whatever that, you know, if that means like tweeting out something every couple of days and that's what that means. Um, and for us, I think going to conferences has been a really great way to gain more exposure. Like um, I, I really love tabling for sundress at the new Orleans poetry festival and representing the journal there and talking to people. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I'm glad to, you know, I'm excited to be doing the, uh, push to publish conference next month in, uh, at Rosemont college. So yeah, I mean, you just have to basically be constantly working. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's true. Well, I think that we've covered just about everything, but if listeners have questions, they can always email us. And we want to thank you all for tuning in to this latest episode of Popcast. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. And send all of your questions and comments to prettyoutpoetry at gmail.com. Talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.